Hi, everyone. We are going to give an update on Doxis 3.1, Upstream OFDMA, Lessons Learned, and so much more. This is episode 60 of Get Your Tech On, our show on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volp, founder of the Volp Firm and Nimble This. We have two guests with us today, John Downey, CMTS Technical Leader at Cisco Systems. John, welcome back. Thank you. Always good to be back. Also with us is Jason Miller, Technical Marketing Engineer at Cisco Systems. Welcome to the show, Jason. You made it for our 60th episode. How are you doing, Jason? Cool. Doing great. Nice to hang out with the cool kids. <laughs> awesome. Glad to have you with us. Um, and for everyone who's new tuning in, if you like what you're watching, please do hit the subscribe button. And if you want to be notified of future events when we do uploads or anything, click that little bell notification and you will receive an email anytime we go live or do uploads. Love to have you subscribe. In the news, the state of Colorado, all festivals, fairs, parades, concerts have been postponed across the entire centennial state for the remainder of 2020, per the state's governor. This means SCT Expo 2 has now been canceled. According to the SCTE chapter bulletin, the SCTE is looking into alternative events. Uh, the memo went on to say that the SCTE will honor all eligible requests for refunds. So, big change for us, guys. Any thoughts? The writing was on the wall. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's no one knows what's happening and where things are going and when things open and when they'll close again. So for the the state to say that facility or venue is being used for like emergency medical, that was surprising. I didn't know that. I thought it really was going to be an SCT decision to say, you know, we just don't know and there's too much unknowns, And but it is what it is, right? Yeah. I think and things will change and they'll just, and I'm going to plug my own stuff. We have a Cisco live event that's supposed to be in Vegas in a couple of weeks. We canceled it and went full digital and it's all online and it's going to be free. We already have over 80,000 subscribers for it. It's next uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, June 2nd and 3rd. Um, I did a session on capacity concerns and, and congestion mitigation. And I had to break it into three parts because you know I can talk long. And I did a, uh, three parts all over 45 minutes a piece on this one topic. And it will be loaded up for a VOD and it comes out, I think, June 4th. Right. So they're doing Cisco Live broadcast sort of live Tuesday, Wednesday, and over 400 sessions are recorded for the VODs. And, and that's just phase one. They're going to do a phase two in July, another phase three in, I think, August. So we, over a thousand sessions. And, and, uh, so you had, we, we had the URL to, to sign up for that. Um, can people still sign up and register? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But they have to sign up and register. Uh, you can't just log on at the time. So if you go to that URL on the HTTPS uh, colon slash slash reg dot rainfocus dot com slash flow slash Cisco slash CLUS20 slash REG slash login. You couldn't come up with a shorter URL, could you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cisco Live. Yeah. Yeah. Cisco.com uh, slash live would be really yeah. cool. You better start I, I actually up do. Now so you can complete that by the August uh, phase three. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have a shorter one of those tiny URLs. It's called GoFundMe, John Downey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone be sure to go there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sign yeah. up with a credit card today. <laughs> so, so our topic today, Doxis 3.1 upstream, um, OFDMA, you know, what are the benefits? What are the challenges? Why do OFDM at all? Why, and why don't we just stick to a 42 megahertz turn? Because doggone it, I like things the way they are. So gentlemen, you, you convince me. Yeah, are- so, you know, with capacity concerns, you know, how do you add more speed? And it could be more aggregate speed or it could be more peak speed. How do you get more peak speed? Well, higher modulation. How do you get higher modulation? Well, DAA, remote fly will get you better performance, but you can't run higher than 64 qualm with DOCSIS 3.0. So the highest speed you can get with DOCSIS 3.0 with four channel bonding is 108. And that's an aggregate speed. 108 what? Megabits per second. Megabits per second. Yeah. <laughs> Kilobits per second. <laughs> it's a DSM or whatever it is. IDSM or I, whatever that old one was. Yeah, but 108 megabits per second with four-channel upstream bonding, assuming 64 qualm, 6.4 megahertz. And that basically fills up your spectrum, right? Or 42 megahertz. So we have to do DOCSIS 3.1. We got to do OFDMA. The problem with it is people have to find that inflection point of how many DOCSIS 3.1 CPE do I have? to take advantage of the 3.1 spectrum. And Jason and I agree, we don't like to encourage or promote TAFDF, the time and frequency division multiplexing. We don't want to promote it. It's just too inefficient. The 3.1 modems can start out the 3.0 modems. When you have to schedule time on the wire for 3.0, then 3.1 on top of each other, you have to schedule in guard time. So that's time on the wire. You have to schedule for null bytes or null time so they don't interfere with each other. So it's inefficient. I would rather keep it simple. You know my mantra. It's keep it simple, stupid, right? Mm-hmm. Have downstream spectrum for 3.1, have upstream spectrum for 3.1. Have the same thing for 3.0. And then cross bond, you know? So we, I have some examples in some of the slides showing... Uh, 42 megahertz where I start going through attrition of 2.0 modems so I can eliminate some ATDMA and I can start, maybe I get 10, 15% 3.1 penetration. Then I can start moving people to 3.1 upstream. And people are on 3.1 downstream for a while now. If I move them to 3.1 upstream, I just moved some of their traffic from the ATDMA and maybe gave less utilization for 2.0 modems and maybe 3.0 modems that's still stuck on two-channel upstream bonding or whatever. So there's some pros and cons to both, and I list them in the slides. And I think, what are you going to do, make a PDF of the slides and let people download them? Yeah, we'll, we'll let people download them. We also have the slides available um, if you want to if you want a display of them. But we'll put the slides in the in the uh, presentation. Okay. So, so as we mentioned, you know, activate 3.1. Uh, OFDMA, I almost think people should just say 3.1 or 3.0 upstream downstream instead of people start confusing OFDM with OFDMA. It's like, all right, uh, <laughs> let's not get mixed up in the semantics, I guess. But understanding 3.1 upstream versus 3.0 upstream, single care qualms. So going back to the slide, you know, we know the modems on the market today do full bandwidth capture. They support 32 downstream single care qualms with two OFDM blocks of 192 megahertz piece. They support eight single care qualm upstreams and two OFDMA blocks of 96 megahertz apiece. So the hardware today supports quite a bit of capacity. Whether or not you can make a bonding group with all that capacity is a different story. Some CMTSs or cable modems might not allow more than 32 downstream bonding. I don't know. Some might not allow more than eight channel upstream bonding group. So go back to the slide again. I think it jumped over, Brady. I don't know if you can pop One slide back. There. Or maybe it's because you're not talking. So Jason popped up on my screen instead of the slide itself. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. Okay. There's so, a little bit of a delay, uh, John. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I wanted to bring up, you know, upstream, the last bullet point there was upstream OFDMA is 96 megahertz wide uh, max. The min is dictated by your subcarrier spacing, either 25 kilohertz or 50 kilohertz. Now I mentioned that half megahertz guard band on both sides of that OFDMA block or channel. Cisco requires this spectrum to include that half megahertz. So even though the spec says 6.4 megahertz wide minimum, 
for 25 kilohertz subcarrier spacing. On a Cisco setup, it's 7.4. So I've already run into an issue where someone wanted to squeeze out spectrum on the low end of a 42 megahertz upstream and put in a OFDMA, but they didn't want to do 25 kilohertz. They wanted to do 50 kilohertz. I'm like, well, you need to find 11 megahertz of spectrum to do that. And they didn't have 11 megahertz contiguous. So that forced them to go real low at five, up to say eight or so, exclude a little bit of that for out of band or set top box or whatever else, and then continue on up to say 17 or 20. Mm-hmm. But that gave them the 11 megahertz that was required because they wanted to do 50 kilohertz subcarrier spacing, but it forced them to even use that low band that Jason and I were like, I, I hate to even offer it. <laughs> I hate to recommend below 15. I, it's just, you're just running into more issues with having to do a mixed type of OFDMA profile and override zone, lower modulation. And so there's other things that I've written down in the slides that if I could keep it simple, that would be the way to go. I mean, really, to be honest, if you want your OFDMA to run the best and run the higher modulation to get higher speeds, you'd put in the high end. you put the ATDMA in the lower end. But I know how it is. It comes down to how many devices can take advantage of that signal. Right. But, you know, I think one of the things that we've talked about often is OFDMA, because it's very robust to noise, because it uses the LDPC error correction, it should be much more robust to noise. So there are operators that are looking at using OFDMA at that lower spectrum that has been consistently extremely noisy. So I I think that is one of the reasons that that folks do want to use it in the low frequency. So so I know you're suggesting you don't want to, but don't you see that as a possibility to use OFDMA (laughs) in the low frequencies? Yeah, and it it might be you have to. You have no other choice, right? You You might say... I have four ATDMA and I can't afford to get rid of any of them. So let me dip my toe in the water with OFDMA and just turn on what spectrum I have left over, which is five to 15. So be it. Actually five to 16, because that would be 11 megahertz. So let's say I do that. We have a customer doing exactly what you're talking about and they turned it on. They use profile management so that the CMTS could decide. So what happens is the modems lock on the IUC, and IUC inter- interval usage code is like a mod profile. And you're familiar with mod profiles, right, for Doxus 3.0 and 2.0. Yep. You know, 64 QAM and request first, initial maintenance first, all those bursts. Well, the IUC 13 is what a 3.1 modem uses to register. Once the CMTS gets upstream MER readings of the subcarriers, and it averages over uh, a mini slot of subcarriers, which could be, uh, 400 kilohertz worth of subcarriers. It averages those MERs, but it gets all the MERs across the whole OFDMA channel or block. And then it says, all right, do all these hit certain thresholds to maybe offer a different IUC? So we know where the breakpoints are for different modulation or IUC. So a modem registers an IUC 13. So you make that like 64 qualm. They're really robust. And 64 qualm is really robust for DOCSIS 3.1, right? Because of LDPC and all that. Uh, 64 qualm is like the equivalent of almost QPSK for DOCSIS 3.0 for breakpoint, you know, uh, maybe 16 qualm or somewhere in that range. So you make IUC 13, like 64 qualm, and then you make the other IUCs, uh, 12, 11, 10. And Jason, what other ones do we use? Nine. Five and six. Nine, five, five and six. six. Yeah. So we have seven IUCs that you can make uh, a 1K qualm, a 512 qualm, a 64 qualm. 256 qualm, a 16 qualm. So the CMTS can say, hey, which IUC is best for this modem? Because I know what his MERs are. So we have a customer doing this right now, and he's utilizing about 
I think six IUCs. And it turned out most of those modems, after everything settled down and it dust settled, most of them are using 512 qualm above his exclusion band. And it's using, I believe, 64 qualm from five to five to like eight megahertz. And that low band you would think would be unusable. So he's actually has a good enough plant that he's getting good readings for 64 qualm, five to eight, and 512 qualm above. I contend he might even be able to get 1K qualm in some of those cases. But I don't think one of his IUCs had that option. Okay. So it's interesting, right? We're getting some factual feedback from customers. Right. They're, they're actually doing this. Um, so Devil's Voice in the chat room says, um, so they're only concerned with utilization. There are no other drivers. We are going whole CMTSs now that have backed off to individual Macs with high utilization. So I, I mean, I, I think I think what we're looking at here is we, if we just look at utilization as a driver for this, you know, how, how does that is that the only driver for this, or are there other components that we should be factoring in? So I, I think utilization. Now, certainly utilization. Uh, down, down the road, there might be some other things when you start talking about um, DOCSIS timing protocols and some other things we could do with OFDMA. But, but certainly now, the reason people are considering it is to get to get more capacity on their upstream. Yeah. And and even even mm-hmm. if they can't get out, if they're only doing 42 megahertz, um, we had one customer. I know John will talk more about some of those slides. Reclaim two single carrier qualms and put an OFDMA in that place. And went from about 100 meg aggregate capacity, 100 megabits per second, to about 150 megabits per second. So they certainly did it because of utilization and wanting more upstream capacity. We're still using ATDMA channels because we have a lot of DOCSIS 3.0 modems out there. Hypothetically, if we had only DOCSIS 3.1 modems out there, would we still be using ATDMA at all in the upstream, or would we be only doing OFDMA? So here's my take on that, and, and we have slides and. I know we just talk about this anyway, but we have slides that, that go further in. We would like to recommend at least one ATMA with your OFDMA. And there's a couple of reasons for it. The way, and this is a Cisco specific thing at this point, is if you have voice, a DOCSIS 3.1 EMTA, the voice flow needs to have certain jitter and latency considerations. So we push it to a single carrier qualm to put it in a DOCSIS scheduler that has uh, buckets of two milliseconds. So we can alleviate jitter or keep it under two milliseconds jitter because it has very tight tolerances. We, at this point, don't have code to let the voice call UGS flow, a scheduled flow, go under OFDMA. So that's one reason. I want to make sure I have an ATDMA channel for scheduled flows like UGS. The other reason I like the idea is it gives you a backup. If you have two upstream channels, one OFDMA, one ATDMA, OFDMA can be huge, but still one channel. You're doing station maintenance on both. If you do station maintenance on both, that's a level of redundancy. If you lose one, you still have the other. It doesn't go down. It's not like downstream where you lose a primary and the modem has to reboot. Here, every upstream has station maintenance. So it's like they're all primary on the upstream. So if I lose one, no big deal. The other, the other one stays up. So I have partial mode resiliency. The other one is if I have two upstreams that that modem's locked on for MTC for bonding, I have a T4 multiplier of two. That means it's station maintenance is two times uh, maybe 20. So I have a 40 second station maintenance. It gives me a little bit more leeway if I have some type of downstream hiccup or something like that. So if, if an RF tech is like moving a, a pad or something like that, or a customer disconnects the cable and plugs it back in, that T4 multiplier actually gives you a little bit more time before the downstream loses sync. So that's, a, that's another kind of a positive, you know, is allowing that one extra channel. Makes sense. 
But do you see that as short term, or do you see that that could be the the lifespan of Doxis three one, Doxis four zero, where we we're just always keeping an ATDMA channel in the upstream with our OFDMA? Well, I don't know. I mean, if you go to a four megahertz upstream and you start implementing two OFDMA channels, that kind of does exactly what I wanted with the T four multiplier, the two channels. By that time, we'll do UGS under OFDMA, I'm sure. So maybe at that point, yeah, why why bother with the ATDMA? You know, if it's all three one then why bother with it, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Sure. But, I, I, but think, I think so. I also think even on the same thing on the downstream, I mean, when you reach that point too, then why not just run all OFDM on the downstream and reclaim the single carrier qualm doxes too? Makes sense. So some high points, you know, we have up on the screen right now is initial ranging. So it's interesting because when you look at spectrum allocation of doxes 3.1 upstream, and if you go to say 85 megahertz, and I would promote and propose that we stop our ATDMA at 40 megahertz, 40, 42, whatever your diaphragm folder is. And anything above 42, we do OFDMA. I would propose we don't make it more complex by adding more ATDMA. I would rather keep it to four below and anything above is OFDMA. And there's reasons for that. And I explain it in this. It's because of house filters. It's because of DOCSIS 3.0 modems that might have 42 megahertz filter, or they don't support eight-channel upstream bonding anyway. Uh, it's a load balance of DOCSIS 2.0 modems locking onto a frequency you don't want them to lock onto anyway. So it becomes more complexity. So we just moved away from my keep it simple approach, right? Yeah, and the, um, the, the four below we've talked about before. Four below what, John, is for the audience? I would say 40, right? I would say 40 megahertz because even though the specs is 42 megahertz for DOCSIS 2.0, most amplifiers, and you know, when we worked for... Uh, an amplifier vendor, we used to use 40 megahertz filters, not 42. Yes. Uh, so there's a lot of amplifiers out there that actually cut off a 40, not 42. Yeah. Back when you and I worked at C-Core. <laughs> is your, is your yeah. wife on? <laughs> so, um, so if I do OFDMA above 42, then I kind of eliminate some more variables. And then you can cross bond. You can say, and you asked about utilization. Is that the push? I'm like, it's not just straight up utilization. Aggregate, it's also peak speed, right? If I can do a higher DOCSIS 3.1 modulation and cross bond ATDMA with the OFDMA, 3.1 modem might be able to hit 200 meg. Maybe it's using up the entire pipe. So maybe you don't allow 200 meg from a 200 meg aggregate. You know, we always say, half that, but you could offer that um, that panacea, that holy grail of 100 meg service on the upstream in a 42 megahertz system by doing only two ATDMA and the rest of the spectrum is OFDMA at 1K Guam. So I have an example of that as well. So where were we? <laughs> where were we? As, as I digress. <laughs> so the IUCs, we talked about those, the different IUCs, seven IUCs supported, four override zones. So an override zone is kind of cool because, you know, the RF plant has noise funneling. Everybody has the same noise floor because everyone funnels back to the CMTS. So if you know your plant is noisy from 5 to 15, it's not an individual modem issue, right? It's every modem because all that noise funnels back. You can look at the spectrum in the head, in the, in the head end and say, yeah, my 5 to 15, it's there's no way in heck it's going to support 256 qualm from 5 to 15. So you could do an override zone and say from 5 to 15, I can do 16 qualm. And then the rest of it, it might be 1K or 512 or 64. So we have some flexibility and automation without, you know, AI or machine learning. It doesn't need all that at this point. But it's in the CMTS. You can just look at the MER ratings and decide what is the best IUC for that specific modem. John, uh, one of the things that I mean that you might point out that I think it was in that deck as well. 
what's different on the upstream compared to the Doxus 3.1 downstream, the modems can lock on multiple profiles at the same time on the downstream, five, maybe more. On the upstream, the modem at one given time is only going to have two of those, if you define seven IUCs on the OFDMA channel, the modem's only going to be assigned two at a time. So that kind of left you back to your point on the, with the spectrum, upstream spectrum, you may be able to run very high modulations near 85 megahertz, but relatively low near 5 megahertz, and you're only limited to two IUCs. So by having that, uh, that IUC uh, override function, now you can use those high, get the high order modulations with that IUC in the upper parts of the band and still use it in the lower part. And in the upstream, is that defined modem by modem? So can, you know, if it, say a modem's at the end of line and it's, it, it's, you know, it's dealing with a lot of impairments, can it drop to a low modulation and maybe the, the neighbor just uh, up the street, can it be running at a higher order modulation? Yeah, just, just like on the downstream, we'll transmit, of course, on the downstream, the CMTS is transmitting, but it'll transmit using um, the highest profile it can to a modem. And same thing on the upstream. It'll assign different IUCs to different modems based on their MER values that we get back. But I think there's a little difference in a downstream because in, in a downstream, it does it in, in groups or in blocks. It's not every individual modem gets a different modulation. It's not right. It's not right. No, we, we can assign, well, to the point of what we do on the downstream, if we had five profiles defined, we'll look and determine which profile we're going to use to that particular individual modem. Mm-hmm. Um, on the, and the on the upstream side, we'll we'll do that same same thing. If we had seven IUCs defined, which would be equivalent to the profiles, then we're going to assign that modem one of those pro one of those IUCs when he transmits back to the CMTS, and that's down to the individual modem. So it's just so you how you more- said that, Brady. It didn't sound correctly how you said that. You made it sound like the downstream is in groups, and it's not. Okay. You have, your neighbor could have a totally different downstream modulation than you. It's just you have more you have more um, more options in the upstream than you do in the downstream because right now we have what three or four profiles max in the downstream. No, nah, we we define more than that. I think we, on ours, I think we define seven on the downstream, but the modems are only going to lock on to four data profiles and one control profile. Okay, so they're locked on that. And we can actually, if we define more than what the modem's locked on, now we need to send a DBC if we're going to, if the, if the modem is going to change to a different profile. And that takes some time as opposed to just changing and, and transmitting to that modem at that profile, that instance in the downstream. Okay. And can you define a DBC, Jason? Yeah. Big bonding change. So a control message that alerts the modem, hey, we're, we want you now to start locking on to this profile. We'll do the same thing on the upstream, but now we use that message to tell the modem, we want you to start using this IUC interval usage code when it transmits back to the CMTS. Perfect. Thank you. So what else we got on the slide? Can you pop it back up there again? I don't know if you have to move it back over. So Brady, I don't know if you can... Uh, yeah, no, the, the slide's back up. Um, you're on the bottom one where um, I think Here. we're... Looking at the DRW? Yeah, yeah. So the good news with DOCS, actually the, the bullet point before that, the good news about DOCS 3.1, and we brought this up in other podcasts, was 3.1 modems have inherently about 5 dB more power compared to a 3.0 modem doing eight-channel bonding, excluding the idea of the extended power. Replacing a 3.0 modem with a 3.1 modem in the same location, you're going to get 5 dB more power. So that, that's kind of a nice thing. It's good to know that I have more headroom so if I activate more spectrum, it can handle it. And you could even say, well, I still have 26 dB tabs out in the field and I'm running into max transit with 3.0 modems. Well, if you place it with a 3.1 modem, we can take care of that. 
My 3-1 modem obviously could cost more money than 3-0. But 3-1 modem is future-proofed or at least, you know, more capacity. The last point was the DRW dynamic range window. I thought it was kind of ironic is the dynamic range window is how different in level can the upstream channels transmit from the modem? So as you go up in frequency on the upstream, you're going to have more attenuation. So higher channels need to transmit higher. And the level they transmit is determined by hitting the CMTS at zero. So the CMTS is just telling the modem, transmit up, down, up, down, whatever, hit me at zero. So the CMTS wants to see zero across the board. So I buy, it's all kind of obvious, at least obvious to me, that higher frequencies are going to have to transmit higher. Uh, I would hope that, you know, people use the equalized taps and stuff like that, which help to balance some of that stuff out. But if not, it's a flat value tap. You're going to have the modems transmit and a tilt. That spec is 12 dB, which is a pretty big spec. And that was for DOCS 3.0 that stopped at 85 megahertz. So I thought it was kind of ironic that once we opened it up to 204 for DOCS 3.1, I would have almost hoped that the DRW would have opened up as well. Like extrapolate the 12 dB out to 204. That could have extrapolated out to 20 dB. <laughs> and so there's a lot of tilt coming from a modem, but it didn't. So the spec is still 12 dB. So that could be a concern when you start increasing your upstream spectrum past 85 megahertz. You're going to get more tilt. And if you still have a lot of coax, you're going to need more tilt. If it's aerial black jacketed cable, it's going to need more tilt from temperature. So, yeah, there's a lot of things to take into account. And uh, I just want to bring that up because uh, the design should have been done from the beginning. Yeah. Um, but if you're stuck with flat value taps, then it is what it is. And you're like, well, what can I do about it? What you could do is you could take, if the modem is transmitting with a lot of tilt, you could take the lower value channels and actually configure them plus 3 dB on the CMTS. That would make the modems transmit higher at the lower frequencies and it would get rid of that all that tilt that the modem says it needs. You understand? Yep. I could fool it if I had to. So I think a, a couple of things to unpack here. So first, Devil's Voice said, doing one Mac at a time is just a band-aid. How long before we're forced to upgrade diplex filters? Aren't they just wasting time and money? And that's basically what we were talking here. We're talking about going to 85 megahertz to 200 megahertz. And John, you talked about, kind of want to dig into this a little bit because you, you mentioned that the modems are transmitting with a tilted output. And it may not be intuitive to, to folks at first to say, well, what's that mean that they're transmitting at a tilted output. So that's, I think that's done in the pre-equalizer of the modem as to why that would be doing a tilted output that the CMTS is, once we go into higher and higher frequencies, we have more attenuation to the cable plant. We've covered this a bazillion times before, but what's going to happen is when that signal comes into the CMTS, it's, it's going to be tilted or attenuated because higher frequencies are going to have that attenuation. So the pre-equalizer and the the CMTS is going to see that. It's going to communicate back to the modem and say, you know, there's some roll off. Please, you know, transmit at a at a tilted output. So, so, so let's back up a second. The pre-EQ is per channel function. Yep. We're talking tilt between channels. That's a leveling function. That's nothing to do with pre-EQ. Now, when you look at OFDMA, pre-EQ will tilt the channel within the OFDMA. That's mm -hmm. one channel. But we're talking about the tilt between upstream channels. Yeah, so, so you're talking, but are you talking about in ATDMA channels that would yes. be below 42 megahertz or OFDMA channels that are above 42 megahertz all the way up to like 200 megahertz? All the channels are counted for the DRW. So if you still have four ATDMA below 42 mm -hmm. and OFDMA above 42, and it happens to be two blocks, I'm going to look at the level of upstream zero, upstream one, two, three, and upstream four and five. There are bigger channels upstream four and five, but that difference in transfer level of those 
five channels, six channels, if you, if you will, excuse me, that has to be within 12 dB. So the, the CMTS uh, is going to look at the power all the way from the maybe the first ATMA channel down, it could be 10 megahertz or 12 megahertz, all the way to the highest OFDM channel or S subcarrier that's going whatever, to be up at whatever that, 204 megahertz, whatever that, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Whatever that modem is using for what we call a TCS, transmit channel set. So whatever that modem locked on as, say, an upstream bonding group, it's going to say, all right, with all those channels that locked on, it's transmitting. What is the difference in the transmit level of upstream 0 to upstream 5? And that has to be within 12 dB, you said. Yeah. Or so, the modem might not even register. Yeah. So what are, we, what are we seeing in the field? Are we seeing issues with modems not being able to register because of that transmit window, that power window? Most people we're doing 42 megahertz, so it's no big deal. So Some I, I mean, there's definitely operators doing 80, 85 megahertz right now. Correct. Correct. What I see more of is I have high-end roll-off, and you have one channel in the high-end roll-off. The modem has to transmit higher to overcome the roll-off. Now that could look like a 12 dB tilt. Right. Like all your channels are transmitting 40, 40, 40, 40, and the very last channel says 50. There's 10 dB of tilt between the first channel and the last channel, yeah. even though there's no real tilt. You know, it just appears to be tilt. Yeah, and I can see this being a real head scratcher for techs that are trying to troubleshoot. You know, why is this modem not coming on, or why is this modem fall, falling back into DOCSIS 2.0 mode, where it's just doing single channel bonding in the upstream? Correct. So, and, and I'm curious well, if if that is been something that is causing that, but they don't understand why. Um, I also yeah, wonder power if, levels. if group delay. So, you know, group delay when a pre equalizer on the on a modem is trying to compensate for group delay, which is it's roll off or, you know, it kind of looks like roll off, but it causes the modem to transmit much higher in power would also cause that same issue. Or have you not seen it before? But I guess they're two different things, right? Group delay is more of a time complex issue, the timing issue. If it's an attenuation issue, then levels will come into play. Now, if it's roll off, that is attenuation. Now that roll off is sharp enough, it causes group delay. Mm -hmm. But one Group delay by itself, like you can, let me give you an example. You can have perfect attenuation and levels will be fine, but you can still have group delay. Yeah, but the, when the pre-equalizer is compensating for heavy group delay, it does require more power to compensate for it. It'll increase its transmit power to compensate for it, but we won't get so stuck I, on I, that. I, I've, I've, yeah, and I found that, eight, and I've worried about that too, is I, I purposely ran an ATDMA channel 6.4 megahertz in the roll-off, and I said if pre-equalization has to add in 3 dB of power to 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 pre-equalize, does that come out of my power budget? And I found that it didn't, which is a good thing. Meaning that if a 3.0 modem maxes out with four upstream channel bonding at 51, 51, 51, 51, and then pre-EQ is like, oh man, I have to dip into the well to add 3 dB of, a, of equalization. Does Do I have to bump it back up to get it back to flat? And it turned out it didn't, which was a good sign. Whether or not that's true for all modem vendors, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that was the path you're going down. By the way, who is Devil's Voice? I don't know. I that's, you were saying, that's, that's his name, man. <laughs> <laughs> but he has some good questions. <laughs> Comments. Maybe, maybe his name's Deville. <laughs> no, it's Devil's. <laughs> Devil's Voice. <laughs> it's Deville. <laughs> So some other things we pick up on, you know, some general notes on 3.1 is by the way Cisco schedules it, just like downstream, a 3.1 modem will prefer the 3.1 spectrum before it starts bleeding over to the 3.0 spectrum. That means that's a good thing, right? You'd rather the 3.1 modem use up all of its capacity on OFDMA before it starts cross-bonding into the 3.0 and 2.0 spectrum, the ATDMA. It's not as 
clean, quote unquote clean as DOCSIS to it or downstream. And it really depends on so many variables of timing, request grant cycle, max first, blah, blah, blah. So we've seen, and Jason, give me some numbers. What have you usually seen? Usually about, uh, we'll use uh, exclusive OFDMA with a 3-1 modem if it's cross-bonded up to about 80%. And then sometimes after the modem hits 80% of that OFDMA channel, it'll sometimes start using some of that single carrier qualm capacity, even though there's still some of the OFDMA uh, capacity left. Understand though, if things are 100% loaded, it'll 100% load that channel. But in the downstream, we used uh, 99.9% of the OFDM capacity before we used any of the single carry qualms with the 3 1 mode. Do you understand that, Brady? No, no, I I, I did not. I was responding to a question (laughs) in the chat room. (laughs) For example, on the downstream, if we had a, a modem that was bonding with some single carrier qualms and an OFDM channel on the downstream, and we need to transmit one modem, we're going to use, put everything over the OFDM channel until it's 100% utilized for 3-1 modems before we attempt to start putting traffic on the single carrier qualms, which is a plus, because that way your 3-0 modems can, can maintain their that capacity. Yeah, you're leaving it on the upstream On the upstream side, then, it's a little more complex because of the scheduling and the request and the upstream bonding, et cetera. So we, we still do attempt to do the same thing but what i what what john was asking about was what we typically find if we're doing bonding with an ofdma channel and single carrier qualms and the modems are transmitting back a 3-1 modem it'll use the ofdma capacity maybe at least to 80 percent and then without using that other 20 percent it'll sometimes start bleeding over and start using some of the single carrier qualm not exhausted but start using it right and, and that's a i mean that's the typical rule of thumb then which, which we see a lot in docs is, is, is it 80% that you put in? Oh, it's or is that, not a, is that, that coming from the spec? Yeah, it, it, it's not even anything from the spec. It's just the way uh, scheduling works on the upstream and trying to, uh, how it tries to allocate time slots, et cetera, on that. So it's, it's not a hard and fast thing. It's just more of an observation on what, what we've seen when we do our testing. Right. Okay. No, that makes sense. Yes, I, I now yes. understand that, John. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> call, I called you out. So one of the things there that's coming up a lot, and Ron just wrote up a huge dissertation for another one of our internal guys, and I knew he he would really do it justice. Was correctable fact. I would have I would have thought by now the test equipment vendors would have been all over this a long time ago, and understand that with LDPC, Doxus three one correctable fact is something we shouldn't be monitoring. You know, we still have people coming back to us saying, ah, correctable fact is at 50%. It's going to run into uncorrectable fact. And that's not the way it works with Doxus 3.1. So really 3.1 correctable fact or what we call prefect or whatever other terminology we use, it shouldn't be utilized for quantifying or qualifying the network help. You understand? Yeah. I mean, do you think we should even look at it at all? I, I think that's one of the, no, the, 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 the so. questions that we've been trying even, to wrap our head around. Even in a lab, even in a lab, you we get, get correctable you fact. You get correctable fact. And, that, yeah. and that's, that's part of the yeah. LDPC algorithm, the low density parity check algorithm that fixes errors is it's, it's always, you know, if there's errors, it's going to work really hard to fix them until it can. And so that that's what you're saying, that we're going to see errors, but LDPC works really hard to fix them. And so we can ignore the correctable errors 
what we don't want to see is the uncorrectable errors. Correct. And Jason, what was that other terminology we just heard? That's Un- unreliable. Yeah, unreliable is what's the term on the upstream. So uh, unreliable will be equivalent to uncorrectable. Un- uncorrectable. So you're you're taking errors. Yeah. So so well, so what what does that I mean? Where's that coming from? Unreliable. Is that the same as uncorrectable? Yeah, so it, it is the same as there. I, I had to ask someone. I thought it was just different people things in the spec. Apparently, when we go through and on the downstream side, we have BCH codes, and I, it's three people's names that I forget the acronyms, but that, that goes back and is kind of a, an additional forward error correction on the downstream. So we know if the LDPC was correctable or not. Mm-hmm. On the upstream, we don't use BCH codes. So apparently, the proper term is unreliable that we went through and did the LDPC. We may have just had errors in the overhead, and the code word is actually good but we don't know that. So we term it unreliable as opposed to uncorrectable, but they should be used interchangeably (laughs) for for, for the the rest of us. I guess I'm asking where are we seeing, I mean, is unreliable displayed someplace or are we seeing that in documentation now? Yeah, I didn't, I did not see in the test equipment, but what apparently some of the MIBs, sorry about that, apparently some of the MIBs returned back unreliable because it's, it's grammatically correct matching up with the spec. Okay. Okay, thank you for the clarification, yeah. Jason. Yeah. And, and one, one point, I don't know where John's going to put, we, we do, on the downstream, we had large code words, I think 18,000 bits or something that were, so the code words were fixed, they were relatively, well, I mean, I guess it'd be short, but they were relatively large on the downstream. So we saw, you know, we saw a lot of correction going on in those, those at least one bit was being corrected. On the upstream, we can run a lot smaller code word sizes. There's a lot more options, and it could be short or short and short. So just as an indicator, as far as on the correctable effect, we actually see a little less percentage of correctable effect and probably have given um, if, if you had the similar type of receive MER values on there. But, uh, but still, it doesn't mean that you ought to be looking at it and trying to do anything with it. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, this is something we, we have talked about before. I, I think I did an article on it on uh, correctable fact in broadband library maybe a, a year or two ago. And, and which, by the way, for everyone, there's a new, uh, issue, a broadband library that just come out. Uh, so broadbandlibrary.com. Please check that out. They'll plug there. Um, but I do think we need to keep reinforcing for everyone because to your point, correctable fact still is showing up in places in doc- is 3.1. We need to make sure that folks don't get worried about seeing correctable fact. So I think that's a good point to bring up. The next point, John, OFDMA <laughs> not supported. Yeah. Or did you have a, you had something else you want to throw in there? No, no, that, that's where, where I want to go. Yeah. Uh, this was kind of an aha moment. Jason was working with a customer on this and we're like, you know, if it hurts when you do that, don't do that. <laughs> so OFDMA, the whole nature of OFDMA is to have many slots and a lot of subcarriers and potentially have more than one modem transmitted at a time, which is a no-no for RFOG, right? You know, you don't want RF over glass having multiple lasers transmitting at the same time, then you get OBI, optical bead interference. That's a whole point. So the question would be, how do I get around that? And I know there's some vendors that make a active OBI mitigation device. Now, whether or not it's turning on and off in the background or dithering wavelengths, I'm not really sure. But instead of having to schedule everybody at the same time to eliminate OBI, maybe I can not just turn off the upstream ONUs, the lasers, on and off. I can also have this active device kind of synchronize everybody. So be it. So the aha moment was when you do OFDMA in the upstream, 
we burst in a mini slot, which is usually 400 kilohertz. When you do the math of a single carrier qualm at 6.4 megahertz, and you look at 400 kilohertz, and you do the math, 10 times a log of 6.4 divided by 0.4, that ends up being a 12 dB correction factor. That means that if a, a modem is doing OFDMA in the house, and it bursts to turn on the laser in the ONU because of RFOD, that power is 12 dB lower. That might not be high enough power to even turn, turn on the laser. Turn laser on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that was like an eye-opener. It's like, wow, I didn't think about that. Well, I, you don't I, have I to worry about OBI then. <laughs> yeah, it never comes on. <laughs> you fixed OBI. <laughs> I told the customer, just turn on your CB and create a, a, a quieting oscillator. <laughs> it's, it's not even quieting, it's a turn on oscillator. <laughs> the laser never turns off. <laughs> <laughs> That's called denial of service attack yeah. from one customer to another. <laughs> but yeah, so that was a, kind of a conundrum on, you know, not just the fact that you could create OBI by multiple lasers, because I had an OBI mitigation device, but the power level issue. And I said, you know, the other idea is don't do it. If it hurts when you do that, don't do it. If you did eight channel upstream bonding, you could get 216 aggregate, 216 megabits per second. Is that good enough? I don't know. And remember, in an RFOG environment, you can still do DOCSIS 3.1 downstream. RFOG has no problem with downstream. It's all broadcast down. It doesn't really care. But it's the upstream. That's the problem having multiple upstream lasers at the same time at the same wavelength interfering with each other. So basically for, for folks who have RFOG, they're, you're saying they're basically not going to be able to do OFDMA in the upstream. It's the bottom line, right? Can't or, yeah, I, <laughs> I would never say can't or won't or won't try, but uh, yeah, it's not, we have bigger fish to fry, I think, in my, in my mind, you know. You chose poor well, I, th- I think to one mind. of the things, too, what we would normally do, would we would increase the level that we want to see that OFDMA channel hit the CMTS, and therefore you'd think that would increase the transmit power at the modem. But when you put this active splitter in the middle, now that basically is what's transmitting back to the CMTS, not affecting the power to the modem. Yeah. So it becomes more difficult to try to make sure that the modem transmit power is high enough. And I think some people are looking at doing some things maybe with some type of optical attenuation between the ONU and that splitter, but it then becomes very customized per customer. So it's not impossible, but I think it becomes becomes very difficult. Yeah, no, I, I think that's actually a good piece of information for folks with RFOG to, to know about before they go out and try to do OFDMA and, and run into the same issue. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you still do I was going to say, one, one of, someone was looking to try to, instead of making the, the 16 dB to be the minimum that you had to hit it with, to try to drop that power level down so that this this lower power coming out of a 400 kilohertz mini slot for OFDMA would be enough to get the o, to get the laser active on the ONU. Mm-hmm. But then it becomes more active to real noise because <laughs> yes. you lowered the level, right? <laughs> right. No, right. I'm, I'm sure every problem solved opens up another one. That you, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unintended consequences that always get you there. Yeah. yeah. Brian Wilson says DPOE doesn't matter due to the fact that you get two, get two down, one up for 10 down, one up. Don't need OFDM or OFDMA, as uh, as you know, Brian's a big DPOE promoter. (laughs) Yeah, one in every crowd. (laughs) So upstream cross bonding ideas, John. What's uh, what are your thoughts on that? That's that's an I think it's an interesting topic. Yeah, and I you know graphics are always good, so I threw in here you know what we would expect as aggregate throughput for four ATDMAs, one hundred eight. If I the next idea was OFDMA on the low end because you had to, and my aggregate is a little bit more. This was assuming six. 16 qualm at the very low end. But like I told you, I have a customer doing 64 qualm, which is 
kind of amazing. Then the next one was what I would like to see happen is eventually start dropping ATDMA for more OFDMA at the higher end. Then I could do 1K qualm and, you know, the modems support 2K and 4K qualm in the upstream as well. Now, I and, J- and Jason, where are we with that? Support wise, I don't think we support it yet, right? We, we, you could turn it on for lab testing. Um, some of the limiting testing I did in the field, we, we ran 2K qualm and, and the modems are able to do that. Um, technically that isn't what we support production wise, but it's, uh, it's, it's able to okay. be turned on now. That's what I thought. So, and Brady, can you swap over back to the slide? I'm not sure. So my conclusion there was best to drop a few 18 May, but depends on CPE penetration. So, so follow me with this logic. If, oh God. If, if, <laughs> Is, I know, really. <laughs> if this is John logic, <laughs> if the old mantra, is it a mantra or a, an, an axiom? I don't know what it is. If 10% of your users are using 85% of your bandwidth, remember that saying? Yeah. Like the abusers? Typical. If, if those 10% or if you could identify those 10% and give them Doxus 3.1 modems. I thought you were going to disconnect push them. them. No, yeah. <laughs> you <can> do that too. <laughs> You push them to Doxus 3.1 Spectrum, you just alleviated their high over usage on the ATDMA. Right. You pushed them to three ones. You gave them more speed. You're going to give them you new modems them to too. You gave them 3.1 modems. So my, my, yes, but my idea was what is the inflection point of 3.1 penetration that justifies more 3.1 Spectrum? And I'm starting, I'm trying to make a case for 10 to 15%. Yeah. This is and, my fuzzy logic. You know, yeah. it, it, also helps, like, it also really helps operators identify who, who the key people are to, to give 3.1 modems. Those are the, you know, the leaders when you start deploying OFDMA in the upstream, it, it starts to make a lot more sense for that. And they probably already have 3.1 downstream. Yep. So they're the ones paying for higher speeds. So they probably want higher upstream speed. Right. So if, if we get 10 to 15%, which is not maybe a whole lot, maybe out of 500 customers, that's 50 customers, that might be enough to actually justify getting rid of some ATDMA. Correct. It sounds like you're, you're punishing your legacy modems, but in reality, you could be actually helping them out. Right. Because you're taking those people that were overutilizing it and moving them to their own spectrum, like 3-1. You understand? Yeah, and going back to what Jason was saying, where those heavy users are going to be on OFDMA, and we're going to be using 80% of that OFDMA channel before they even start going to the ATDMA. I completely agree with your, what you're saying. The, Correct. The lower yes. users are going to be using DOCSIS 3.0 modems on ATDMA, so they're actually going to have more capacity now. So I'm, so I'm going to give you some more advantage of this idea is if you drop down to two HMA and one OFDMA, that's three upstream channels. Less upstream channels means less downstream map overhead. That's one other, that's one other thing. Dropping to three upstream channels, uh, you still have three channel upstream bonding for the OFDMA and two HMA. So the, the aggregate speed is not too bad. It's like 200 meg in my diagram. If you drop the two HMA to a two channel upstream bonding group, all the three O modems gain 3DB in their max transmit. Because a modem doing one channel, is 57. A DOCSIS 3.0 modem doing two channels is 54. A DOCSIS modem doing three or four channel upstream bonding is 51. So doing a two channel ATDMA upstream bonding group gained me 3dB in max transmit. Right. So that's another advantage. You know, so there's, there's advantages to the, and the logic that I'm thinking of where I would go if it was my decision, you know. I, I'd add on different. one thing on, on that is, and you had asked Brady about, you know, what were the thoughts on the SCTE show being canceled. I submitted a paper with Barry Fink from Blue Ridge Cable. Well, we did this, they did this exact thing. They uh, took two of those single carrier qualms, put them to OFDMA. They took their top tier, uh, their top two upstream tiers 
and made sure all those users had 3-1 modems. And I don't know, he's running down some of the specific percentage, but it's in these kind of numbers that is on the slide. It wasn't, it certainly wasn't above 50%. It was well below that, I think. And we were going to do a white, uh, submitted a, a technical session to, to cover this at the uh, show. So we're still working on it, but uh, uh, yeah, to be in, determine what happens with the, uh, the technical sessions. And maybe SAT will do the same thing we're doing with Cisco Live, do like a digital version, you know? BODs or something. Yeah. Hey, uh, guys, quick question here from Tim Bowser. He wants to know what release, uh, Gibraltar, Amsterdam, et cetera, is supporting the 1K or 2K upstream OFDMA? The, um, the 1K has always been supported on OFDMA, and that was added. I don't, it was added 16.5. I don't use as much of the, uh, the code word names, but 16.5 code was when OFDMA first got put in. There was a lot of bug fixes that got integrated past that as we did more testing with the cable modem vendors. The the code, certainly the code now, 16.12, has that 2K and 4K um, IUCs available, and it, it could have been even added in the 16.11. But most of our testing we do on 16.12, there's features that are in there that makes it a lot more uh, deployable in there, just on how we downgrade IUCs based, based on error rates and some of these kind of functionality. All right. Thank you. Guys, uh what what's really the last slide? Is this the last, the last slide? One. Okay, cool. This next one. Next one. Out. Yeah, I think the next one might be the last one where we have an 85 megahertz. Yeah, 85 megahertz yeah, yeah. is the next one. So I, I, I mentioned about doing OFDMA above 42 megahertz. Keep it simple. Keep your 480 DMA below. You might even drop that to three. It really depends on what you want to do. But I tried to show the different bonding groups I would make. I would cross bond all of it. So I have a five channel bonding group. I would do the four channel bonding group for Docs 3.0. I would do a two channel bonding group embedded in the four in case 3.0 modems have power level issues when they register because that'll gain me 3 dB in transmit power. I don't like to do multiple two channel bonding groups because it doesn't make much sense to me. I don't want to have to load balance between two. No one should be using a two-channel bonding group unless there's a power level issue. So it should be minimum. So why not pick your best two frequencies in the middle? So that's what I recommend. So I do the two-channel bonding group on the two middle frequencies in ATDMA. I do the four-channel bonding group for modems that can do it correctly. I do a five-channel bonding group for the three, three uh, one modems. But I also mentioned, well, what if the three one modem has a power level issue? Should I make a OFDMA and one single carrier qualm. So in the right corner of this slide, I did some math. I said, all right, the math says the max transmit power is 65 minus 10 times the log of the ceiling of all your spectrum added up. And it's ATDMA channels, all that spectrum, plus the OFDMA usable bandwidth. So you subtract exclusion rate, exclusion bands, you subtract the one megahertz total guard band, and you divide it by 1.6. So you have to put that number into an increment of 1.6 and round it up to the highest number. So I did the math, and you see with the five channel option bonding group, what was my max? 48 point something? 48.66 dBmV. Yeah, and if I drop that to a single carrier qualm ATDMA bonded with OFDMA and do the math again, I get what is it? 50.08 dBmV. The difference is only 1.42 dB delta. Correct. So, so if I have a 3-1 modem that can't register with the five-channel bonding, and then it says, oh, well, look for the next lowest bonding group, and it's the 
the one I just told you about with the OFD manual one single camera, yeah, it's channel. only going to give me one point. It's only going to give me one point four dB. So it's, if the modem really has power level issues, it's probably not going to register on that one either. So then what happens? Well, we have single channel bonding groups by default hidden in the code. The same the cable modem would pick the OFDMA by itself anyway. Right. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. And if it couldn't do that, then it might have to revert to the four channel ATMA and the, and register as three O option. Right. So this is so that's kind of what I wanted to get to is I can see the idea in a 42 megahertz system to cross bond, but then maybe have a backup one single hair qualm with OFDMA. But when you start opening it up, the OFDMA is so much bigger. I'm like, yeah, just just cross bond all of it and then don't worry about doing another embedded bonding group with OFDMA because the power levels don't really add up. It's all a ratio thing. Mm-hmm. Any other points on there? Now that you switch a slide to me, I can't see the font at size 0.2. <laughs> about house filters, John. Did you um about house filters? I don't know if that was there, there's been a little interesting things on there, but yeah, I don't know if you yeah so that was one of the other. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, that's the other reason. And J- and and Jason, uh, me and Brady talked about this before because he's running into it. You know, even though the 3031 modems have functionality to talk to the CMTS and tell the CMTS what its capabilities are, the chipset capability, the built-in diplex motor capability. But what if your house has a filter in it? It's not like a house amp is talking to the CMTS. The CMTS has no idea what's in the house or your amplifiers for that matter. So even though the CMTS and cable modem can talk to each other, they, oh, I notice you're an 85 megahertz cable modem. So I'll let you do eight channel bonding on the upstream. But what happens if there's a filter in the house and it blocks it anyway? Yes. So in those situations, this is why I say keep it simple. If I don't do it, any ATDMA above 42, then I don't have to worry about it. You know, so that was kind of one of the ideas. But with that said, we had another customer that did OFDMA above 42, and the initial ranging is using BPSK, and it's so robust, it actually got through the diplex filter roll-off and still registered. And that OFDMA came up, and it was so bad that I couldn't run any traffic. But that, so and that's, that's what we Jason, see. Yeah, the worst yeah, case yeah. brought up. Best case scenario. Best case scenario with the house filter is that channel, that ATDMA channel, doesn't come online at all. Worst case scenario is the ATDMA channel comes online because we have like 16 qualm or QPSK station maintenance, but the data is at 64 qualm. And so either the data is getting really high uncorrectable code word errors or no data will pass through that channel at all. But the CMTS doesn't know that. The modem doesn't know that. And it's trying to transmit data over that ATDMA channel. So what happens when you do OFDMA? Like I just mentioned, the initial ranging is so robust at BPSK yeah, it'll still come online. So as Jason mentioned, we have newer code that makes operationalizing OFDMA much better is even if it does come up and it's poor, we can track uncorrectable effect and say, no, you need to go to partial mode. Right. Which is kind of cool because if a modem registers in full bonding, that's the ultimate scenario because you want partial mode to be automated. So if the customer removes the diplex motor, removes the house amp and it gets better, the motor comes will back come out of partial. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very and nice I think stuff. that kind of ended. Any other high points you saw in there, Jason? No, I was I was looking at that. That was the one I think to, to touch on. The biggest. Yeah. So. And, and with that, also we mentioned initial ranging. You know, initial ranging by default is one third up from this lowest frequency that you set for OFDMA. So you have the capability to move that around, which kind of makes sense. Like I told you about my customer that did OFDMA from five to say 17. If it was me, I'd probably put the initial ranging at 17. Okay. I probably wouldn't put the initial ranging at five, you know, or six or seven, you know? And so I can look at that and say, you know, my initial ranging is probably better off at this frequency. Kind of like my PLC on the downstream. Mm-hmm. Avoid problem areas, but you can do that with initial ranging as well. Right. All right. Very good. 
So your Cisco Live event is coming up. You've already plugged that. Anything else you guys want to plug before we wrap up the cast? John? Uh, I submitted a paper for SCT also. It was the power of DAA, you know, and I'm supposed to do a VOD for Cisco Live phase two on that same topic, the power of DAA, you know, the power of distributed access architectures, whether it's remote by, remote Mac by, flexible Mac architecture, just getting to digital fiber. That is the biggest thing. As an RF physical layer guy, turning analog fiber into, into digital fiber, no laser clipping, you know, there's a lot of advantages there. Jason, anything? And, and we'll have one last question to wrap it up. No, I think just that I, I, hopefully if we do get, if SCD does take papers, um, we'll be doing a paper on this subject, like I said, with a, a joint paper between me and Barry Fink at Blue Ridge on OFDMA and their deployment and what we learned in it. There, there'll be some new things in there as well that we probably didn't touch on today. All right. Are they at 42 or are you going to 85? 40, 42. Good. Yep. Right. But one of the things we're going to talk about is, you know, what we what we did to correct errors is a little different on the downstream. I know we're wrapping up, but it was a lot more we did with simply prefix that on the upstream we do a lot more with pilot patterns. More to follow. Yeah. I, I have a feeling SCT you'll figure out something. Hopefully you'll figure out something to do with all the papers yeah. and, and stuff that people are working on. Um, so we do have one more question I, I just want to throw in that came in. It's uh and because I know you guys can handle this one as a softball. Uh will the release will the release support exclusion bands or exception zones, uh modulation exceptions within the OFDMA channel. Yes. We've always had that. Exclusion zones. We call un, we call we have exclusion zones. You also have unused zones and we do IUC overrides. We've always had those functions in there. The the part that John and we added the support to do like four IUC overrides per 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 IUC. So a total of uh twenty seven or twenty eight on the channel. But yeah. That code was added in the 1611, maybe. And Jason, can you elaborate on what an exclusion zone is for anyone who may not yeah. be familiar with that? So what? Sure. So what we'll do is if, if you have an OFDMA channel that spans like we talked about, maybe it starts at 5 megahertz and goes all the way to 42 megahertz, and you have single carrier qualms in there, you'll put an exclusion zone that prevents us from doing it, sending any OFDMA traffic where we have those single carrier qualms, and we define that with an exclusion zone. And then if we have an unused zone, we also won't schedule any traffic over there, but when we're doing probing to get measurements of receive MER, we'll send probes over the, the unused zone so we can measure if there's noise or other kind of things on that part of the channel. Yeah, and another really good use for them would be like if you have an out-of-band channel in there for your set-top boxes. Absolutely, absolutely, right. We, we Again, we will, hopefully people stay up 10 megahertz and above, and maybe they don't have to mess with that, but that, it absolutely works for that. <laughs> and, and be used for that, yep, absolutely. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. Another good episode. Our next episode is episode 61 in uh, in June. We don't have a firm date on that. We'll get that out there. Um, you can watch us live on YouTube or listen to us on your favorite podcaster. We do the audio only, of course. Links to all of this will be on our volpfirm.com webpage. So, we'll, John, you know, as long as you give us permission, we'll also put the PDF PowerPoint on there, which I, I know you did that at the beginning of the episode. So we'll have that link on our Volpfirm site. One more comment. Oh, yes. Go ahead. I don't think I don't think we answered I don't think we answered that one guy's question or comment about you know where do we start with diplex filters and eighty five two hundred four that should be our next episode where we talk about the diplex less amplifiers from Technetics or whoever else is looking at echo cancellation and how do I future proof my network right what is my next network is it fiber. Or can I still squeeze some more out of my HFC network? Yep. Sounds like a good topic for our next one. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. And we'll see you next time. Bye, all. Have a good weekend. Thanks. Take care.